0: Well, again, good morning. Welcome. Uh, so glad that you are here with us. So dreary out, my goodness. Actually, is that snow? Oh. And so it begins. All right, sorry, sorry. Yes, give thanks in all circumstances. Yeah, okay. Well, again, just so glad that you are are here with us this morning. Um, I just kind of snuck over from the membership class that we've got going on. It's always a fun thing to to meet new people and to be a part of that. But it's fun to to come back over here and and open God's word together. Uh, You can see that we are on our last startling statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, let's uh, let's pray for God's help as we um, think about that. Gracious Father, we... um, As we just sang, we we need you, God. We need you to speak to us. We need you to convict us. We need you to transform us. God, we thank you that even though you command us to obey, and that's really, really hard. God, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to help us so that we can obey. Help us in that now as we come to your word. Amen. Okay, so what are, what are some of the things that you do that you hate doing, but do anyway, simply out of love? And what, what are some of those things? Whether, whether it's for a child or a parent or a friend or a spouse, those things that you would really prefer never to ever do, uh, but do anyway, simply for the sake of the relationship? I'm really asking here. What do you got? Dishes, all right, yeah. What else? Laundry, Laundry. okay, yeah. Go to work. I'm sorry? Go to work. Going to work, yeah, okay. Sometimes, absolutely, yeah. What else? Anybody? Yeah, your, your, your spouse is a little too close. You know, you can't, you know, you're not willing at this point. Well, my wife's not in here. She was in first service. So um, I can tell you, I hate emptying the dishwasher. Uh, there are times when I, I really don't want to listen Right? Anybody else? Right? Um, I, one, of the, one of the greatest tortures I think ever invented, in my opinion, are professional family photos. <laughs> I hate them. I hate them. But I love my wife. Others? Other, other things that you just... I mean, I, I, yeah, Brad? My wife loves her oh. Okay, all right. We'll just, uh, we'll leave that one. Uh, we'll, uh, let's quit while we're ahead, maybe, I think. Uh, yeah, bringing the in-laws. Okay, yeah. Um, I, you know, one of the things, sometimes I'm just not in the mood to, to get down on my hands and knees and roughhouse with my kids, right? I mean, there, if you think about it, there is no end to the list of things we do that we really don't want to do. And why do we do them? Love. Love, right? For the the sake of the relationship. Kelly and I were 22 years old when we got married. Thanks, yeah. I mean, just look at how naive we look. I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. This is, you know, leaving our our wedding reception, uh, our whole lives sort of before us, right? And we... Instantly, we, we moved to a place where we knew no one. We had nothing. We were young, stupid, selfish, and alone. And oh, so stinking in love. But we had no idea what it meant to love each other. I mean, frankly, we're still trying to figure that one out. But one of the things that we learned really quickly, that is, if I'm going to love this person, I'm going to have to give something up. If I'm going to get to know this person, not know them for who I think they should be, but who they actually are, I'm going to have to put myself aside to some extent. And while our marriage is far from perfect, I assure you, in fact, we had a little argument last night before bed that was oh so fun. Um, Far from perfect, okay? Okay. And I said, just for the record, I said all this when she was here. Just, just for the record, okay? Um, nevertheless, I mean, one of the things that we've learned is that it's, just, it's worth it. All the sacrifices that I've made, all the sacrifices that she's made, and believe me, she's made a whole lot more being married to me. It's worth it. Because I don't have to have a world anymore that revolves around me. And that, that's freeing. And I have something so much better than my own self-interest. I have a relationship with a real person, intimacy. And even though we still have so much to learn, we, there's something beautiful, something joyful about learning the self-sacrificial love. And even though, as I look at these two idiots up here, um, we, our, our, our love then was, was so different than it is now. So different. And yet I've got to tell you, now it's so much better as we continue to learn what it means to actually love each other. But some of you, you, you might be thinking when you, when you hear something like, but if I just do what the other person wants, I mean, don't I become a prisoner, a slave? And some people do refer to their spouse as the old ball and chain, right? Wouldn't recommend it. But that's what a relationship is. That's what love is. It is being willing to do things that you don't want to do simply out of love. Love always involves action. Jesus calls this obedience, really. We don't like calling it obedience. I mean, we don't like talking about that with with our peers. We don't mind referring to that word, using that word with our children, of course. But when it comes to our relationship with one another, we, we don't like it at all. In fact, I've, I've done a lot of weddings and not once have I used the old promise, right? And obey in the vows, right? We don't, we don't do that anymore. And yet that's really what love is. A willingness to respond to one another's desires and to give up our own. If you love each other, you will obey each other. Obedience is not an option in any relationship. And kids, you know all about this, right? I mean, you you know the difficulty of obedience. You know the the struggle that it is and the necessity of it. But the reality is your parents and all of the grown-ups here, we also have to obey. There are people in our lives based on a position and based on relationship, which is what we're talking about this morning, that we choose to obey. That we do things we don't want to do simply for the sake of love. But if we really love, and this is the nice part, even those really hard tasks become a little less hard, don't they? I mean, they may still be a struggle. I still don't like professional family photos, right? But you see the smile on her face. You, you know that the joy of doing something that's not just for your own self-interest. And you see the relationship continue to grow. But I don't just have to, I want to. Well, we all heard our text read for this morning just a few moments ago. Go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. John chapter 14. And despite everything I've just said, this passage really isn't about marriage at all, okay? Okay that's it's not what it's about. It's about a relationship so much more important than marriage, but a relationship that also requires self-sacrifice and obedience. It's a relationship that we can see many parallels to those any of those most intimate relationships that we experience, whether you're married or single. Because Jesus says, "If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, if you're in a relationship with me, you will do what I say. Not should obey." Or might obey, will obey, must obey. Obedience is not an option. But we'll also see that Jesus says essentially, if you love me, you can obey me. According to Jesus, we must obey and we can obey. And so the question that we really have to wrestle with is, do we want to obey? Well, let's take these in order. First, we must obey. Doing what Jesus wants is not an option in the Christian life. It's not a choice that we can simply, well, yeah, if we know him, if we love him, if we follow him, Jesus says we will obey him. We must. And if we disobey, or, you know, more accurately, when we disobey, we defy the relationship. We become a living, breathing, walking contradiction. For Jesus says in in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because obedience reveals who we love. Obedience reveals who we love. Now, in many ways, when when I say that, I I, I bristle a little bit. I think for two reasons I bristle. Uh, One, because I'm really bad at obeying. It's pretty hard. Okay? And so I know how inadequate I am when I see that. But for two, so, so much of, of who we are and, and our culture and what we say, we, we prefer to think of love as an emotion right, rather than an action. We know that it's not. We know that. But we, we prefer the emotion side of things. And so when Jesus says, essentially, love equals obedience, if you love me, you will obey me, what I kind of wish he would have said is love Equals warm feelings. Because warm feelings I can fake, right? They're really not that hard to muster. You know, get the right song, get the right mood. Warm feelings are easy. It's obedience that's so difficult. But this is what he says it means to love him. And again, if we take that into any of our human relationships, we know that, right? I mean, just go back to, to marriage. I tell Kelly that I love her all the time multiple times a day, and I even have warm feelings about her, you know, 10 years later. Good for us. Um, But imagine if I never did anything to serve her, never listened to her, always acted in my own self-interest. I mean, that would be cruel, wouldn't it? And it certainly wouldn't be love. We know that love requires action. Anybody see the movie Enchanted? familiar with this? Kids? It's a kid's movie, right? Some of you have seen it. Uh, it's kind of a ridiculous fairy tale um, set in New York City. So this, this princess, somehow she ends up in, in New York City, and there's this scene in which she and this divorce lawyer are talking about love. It's kind of an odd thing, because she's just naive and bizarre and all this. Kids, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and so, no, because of the movie, not because of the, what I, how I describe the movie. Um, <laughs> We'll just leave it at that. Let's be clear. Um, okay, so they're talking about love, and, and the princess is just sort of appalled that this divorce lawyer just assumes that his fiance knows how he feels. He doesn't have to do anything about. it. He doesn't have to show it. Uh, and then, of course, she, she bursts into song and dance right in the middle of, of Central Park. And part of the song, she says, uh, "It's not enough to take to. Um, it's not enough to uh, take the one you love for granted." And then the chorus goes, you've got to show him you love him. How does she know that you love? Dun, dun, dun. Come on, right? You you're familiar with the song? It's kind of like the big moment in this, in this movie. Uh, that was a little embarrassing. Sorry about that. <laughs> the little dance was not in the notes, just for the record. Um But we know this when it comes to romance. We know this when it comes to relationships, right? With people that we we cannot just say that you love somebody. You've got to show them. And yet we think for some reason that with Jesus, eh, our actions, our behavior, our obedience are somehow optional. But his relationship with us, our relationship with him, is surprisingly similar to our relationships with one another. Obedience reveals who we love. And really, you could take it a step further because we always obey what we love, don't we? We think about it. We always obey what we love. I love being productive. I also love sleep. But obviously, I love productivity more because I obey my alarm clock when it goes off. We always obey what we love. And so even as you think back, if you've been with us over this series, right, these 10 shocking statements, they have all come with some really difficult commands that Jesus gives us. And with him, it's either his way, or the way of death. But essentially what he's saying is, who do you love? That's what you're going to obey. So last week when we said you cannot serve God and money, the, the critical issue is you can love God or you can love money, but you're going to obey the one you love. We always obey the one we love. Or if we go back further in the series, you know, Jesus said, basically do whatever it takes in the fight against sin. If, if you lust, gouge out your eye, He says. The question is, what, what do we love? Do we love lust or do we love Jesus? Because we're going to obey the one that we love. We always obey what we love. And if that's true, we must obey Jesus if we claim to love him. If we claim to be in a relationship with him. If we call ourselves Christians, obedience to Jesus is not an option. But there's another reason we must obey. And this one's related, but it's It's different. We also need to obey, must obey, because obedience is essential to intimacy. Obedience is essential to intimacy. I cannot know another person, truly know them, unless I'm willing to submit to them. Unless I'm willing to sacrifice part of myself in order to get to know them. I mean, for example, I I can't get to know my neighbor unless I come over when he invites me. I mean, it requires a response. I, there's no possible way I can have that relationship. Or if we make a, a plan, my neighbor and I, to, to go out for coffee, uh, and I don't show up. Not only does it prevent us from getting to know one another, it also makes it harder, right? It begins to separate, makes, makes it more difficult, because I haven't submitted to him, submitted to the plans that we've made. Intimacy always requires self-sacrifice and obedience, And if we want intimacy with God, and we want to know our Creator, to see Him, to experience Him, then we've got to obey Him. Skip down to verse 21. Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and manifest or reveal or make known... Manifest myself to him. And so if you are unwilling to obey God, you're not going to know him. Not, not like he wants to be known. I mean, again, so often we say, if, I, if only I could see God, if only I could experience him and, and to, to have that kind of intimacy, if only that was true in my life. But are you obeying him? And if you're not, why would, why would he reveal himself to you? Why would he enter into a further level of intimacy with you? I mean, if you ever wonder why you're not growing in your faith, one of the first things we've got to ask ourselves, am I obeying him? Am I really doing what he commands us to do? C.S. Lewis. And mere Christianity c- compares this to the various relationships we have with the created world. Uh, and so he starts with the zoologist and the relationship a zoologist has with a rock. Um, it's not a very complex relationship, right? The rock has no choice. The, or not, sorry, not zoologist, geologist. Next one, zoologist. Geologist, study of rocks. With me? Okay, forget, forget the zoo. Uh, so there's no relation, no choice, right? The rock has no choice in the relationship. The z- geologist goes and finds a rock and studies it. That's it. With the zoologist, it's a little bit more difficult because now as the zoo- zoologist wants to go and study wild animals, uh, those animals aren't going to come to the zoologist, but they have a choice of whether or not they want to run away. It's a little bit further step of intimacy. And the next level, he says, is, is the relationship that we have between humans, that to be in a relationship with a human, to, to know a human, that person has to let you in. You cannot get to know a person unless they are willing to. For you to know them. Unless you you gain their confidence. And then he compares this with our relationship with God. Here's what Lewis says. He says, God shows much more of himself to some people than to others. Not because he has favorites. But because it is impossible for him to show himself to a man or woman. Whose whole mind and character are in the wrong condition. Just as sunlight, though it has no favorites. Cannot be reflected in a dusty mirror as clearly as a clean one. And again, if you think about it, this is just how relationships work. I mean, I I wouldn't know Kelly, really know her, if I wasn't willing to do some of the hard work of sacrifice and humility. I mean, there's no way that she would reveal herself to me if I was purely, you know, all the time selfish and domineering. Why would she possibly let me into her world, into who she is? And yet the more I learn how to love her, the more I know her. And the more I know her, the more I love her. Obedience is essential to intimacy. And so Jesus is saying, if we love him, we will obey him. And if we obey him, we will grow in intimacy and and knowledge of him. And if we grow in intimacy of him, we're going to love him more and obey him more. Are you you following that? Let's do a little chart here. I I like charts. It's pretty simple, but in case, in case you're missing it so far, Jesus says, if we love him, we will obey him. It, it will happen. But if we obey him, we'll grow in intimacy with him. We'll get, to, we'll get to know him better, know more of him. And if we grow in intimacy, we'll love him more, and we'll obey him more, we'll have more intimacy, more knowledge and love, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. But you see how important obedience is to this process. It's part of the relationship. It's necessary for any relationship. And it's certainly necessary for our relationship with our creator because we owe him everything. He is the one who made us. He is the one that we are accountable to, ultimately. And so if you are a Christian, you must obey. You must. We must. I must. Okay, so, so far we probably know most of that, right? Right? We we know that obedience is a really important thing, right? If you've been in church any length of time, you know that we're required to obey. We're not very good at it, but we at least know cognitively that, that that's what God expects from us. But here's the amazing part. It's not just that we must obey, it's that we can obey. And we get hung up here, don't we? I mean, even as you, again, think back over the series and these shocking statements that, that Jesus commands us to do. So often we look at those things, we shrug our shoulders, and we say, well, I'll do my best, I guess. But it's impossible, and so, oh well. Well, it is impossible without help. But we're promised help. And this is the best part of this text. We can obey. We can love and know our rescuer. How? Because obedience is empowered by the helper. Jesus promises here, in the the verses we haven't read yet, promises to give us the Holy Spirit, the the helper, this, this incredible gift. Really, he goes right in the center of this whole process, the helper, the Holy Spirit. He is the one that makes all of this possible. This is how all of it is still grace. Even our obedience is grace because it is a gift of God through his spirit that he enables us to actually fulfill his commands. Not only are we saved by grace, but we are empowered to fulfill God's commands by grace. Let's start reading again. Picking up in verse 15 right at the beginning where we began. Jesus says, "'If you love me, you will keep my commandments.'" And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, Jesus says, you also will live. And skip down to verse 23. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I love that verse. And what an amazing picture of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, says that we meaning the Father and Jesus, in ways we can't possibly fully grasp, we will make our home in you. And that happens through the Holy Spirit. That God himself lives within. I mean, this, this belief that we hold together, I mean, it is mysterious. It is difficult. It is so hard to even begin to get our minds around. But this idea that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, that he is three and one, while at the same time one and three, it is mysterious, but it is beautiful. And in it, we, we see the, the fullness of, of who our God is and who he has called us to be. It's something to celebrate, even though we can't fully understand it. It's a beautiful mystery. And so Jesus, in this text, he isn't telling his disciples to obey simply in order to heap all this guilt on him. We're, we're good at that as Christians, but that's, I, don't, I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. He's not just heaping guilt upon them. Jesus is about to die and depart And so he tells this to his disciples to comfort them. To give them hope and encouragement. That they will never be alone. That they can obey God. They can know God. They can love God. For they have been filled with God. So have we. And we will never be alone. If only we believed it. That God himself, through his Holy Spirit, comes to us and makes his home in us. I mean, that's something that we, we know is, is promised in the new creation, right? That God himself will live with us. And yet, we who follow Jesus, we can experience that even now. That he makes his home. We don't have to wait for the new creation. That God lives within us. So, of course, we can obey. God is here. He's with us. Eden, our uh, three-year-old daughter, she's recently become a little bit obsessed with the presence of God, just asking lots of questions, very curious. Uh, and even at, you know, this early age, she finds this, this comfort, right? This, this peace that be- comes with believing that God is with her. And so oftentimes, um, over the last month or so in particular, uh, if we're tucking her in at night, you know, putting her in bed, and if there's like just a little bit of anxiety, she's, again, she's three in that process— she will often ask us, is Jesus in my room? Yeah, yeah, honey, yeah. Once again, she, Jesus is in your room. Or, or there'll be times um, where she's been playing down in the basement by herself. And, you know, I don't know if, if she heard a noise or something, but for some reason, obviously, she gets a little bit freaked out. And so we'll, we'll hear her holler up the stairs, is Jesus in the basement? <laughs> yes, yes, honey. Yes, Jesus is in the basement. And the other day, we were at a new park um, where there was this tunnel slide that she was clearly very afraid of. And so she came over and she asked her mother, is Jesus in the slide? Yes, yes, Jesus is in the slide. And then as soon as she knows that, she's fine. Even, even to the point of being able to go down the slide that she was terrified of. She, well that, okay, well, if Jesus is there, then it's got to be okay. I mean, instantly she, she had the, the, the strength and the courage to be able to do that because she believed in the presence of God. And yes, I mean, she's only three, and who really cares about the slide, right? But the presence of God changes us. It equips us. It empowers us. And, and God, if you, if you know Jesus, the Spirit, God himself, he's not just in your room or in your basement or in the slide. He is within us. He makes his home in us. The word that Jesus uses here, it's the Greek word paraclete. It's a hard one to translate. So depending on your translation, you may have something other than helper. Uh, It's a hard one to pin down, but essentially it it means helper or counselor, legal counselor, um, comforter, encourager. Uh, But it's, it's the one from whom our strength and courage and ability come to fruition. Our ability to obey. Because of him, because of the Holy Spirit within us, we can obey. Now there is certainly a lot of confusion when we talk about the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we, we get really confused, and what is his role? What does he do? What does it look like? How do we, as believers, how do we interact with him, right? This third person of the Trinity. Well, because there's so much confusion, I want to read uh, this section of our statement of faith, and this just sort of summarizes what we as a church believe about him, about the Holy Spirit. It says, we believe that the Holy Spirit, in all that he does, glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just stop there for a second. Because that first sentence, that's really his primary job description. That is what he does. His primary role is not to be center stage, not to have all the attention on him. His role, his job is to glorify Jesus to shine the light on Jesus. That is who he is. That's that's why he came. That's why he lives within us, to glorify Jesus. And it goes on, he, the Holy Spirit, convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinner, and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. So as we, as we think about this statement and we think about our text, John 14, and Jesus' requirement for us to obey, how does the helper help us? Well, there's a lot that we could say. I mean, there's a lot that we could say about the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity. But let me just mention four things, particularly as we think about our need to obey. And from these, we'll derive our application for this morning. He convicts us. He regenerates us, he gathers us, and he transforms us. First, he convicts us. If if you were to turn your your page in your Bible just over in in chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus still sort of on the same conversation with his disciples. He says, when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit helps us love Jesus, helps us obey Jesus by telling us when we've blown it, by giving us that incredible blessing called guilt. It doesn't feel like a blessing, does it? Ugh. I mean, I don't know if there's a worse feeling in the world to, to do something or say something, to know that you've blown it and feel that sinking feeling of guilt. But what a blessing that is. I mean, if, if you're a believer, that, that is God within you, warning you, confronting you, saying your life, you're, you're going in a wrong direction, you're in danger. I mean, it's sort of like the, the, the light that goes on in the dashboard of our car to, to let us know when there's a problem that we don't necessarily sense, that we don't know about. It says, you, you need to take another path. You need to do something different. The Holy Spirit convicts us. But are we listening? I and mean, when we feel that, that pang of remorse or guilt, do we listen to him speaking? If we don't, if when you feel convicted about something, when you, when you see your sin in your life and you know that it's wrong, when you feel that conviction, if you ignore it, over time he's just going to stop warning us. He's not going to waste his efforts trying to convict you if you refuse to be convicted. That's part of what it means to quench the Spirit. If you want to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to obey Jesus, we've got to ask the Holy Spirit to convict us. It's part of his role. It's what he does. And listen to him when he does. And so pray to him, Holy Spirit, where, where am I disobedient? Oftentimes, we don't even know where we're blowing it, Right? We get so kind of wrapped up in our own lives, our world, we don't even necessarily know when we're doing something wrong, when we're going down the wrong path. The Holy Spirit, where? Where am I disobeying? Where do I need to change course? What do I need to do? And help me listen to you. Show me. Second, he regenerates us. That's really just a fancy word for he makes us new. It's the idea of regeneration. It's kind of a theological word. It's an important word. But it really just means he makes us new, that we are made new. We can obey because if you trust in Jesus, you aren't that same person anymore. You're not the person that you used to be. You're new. And Jesus alludes to this in our passage, right? In verse 9, 14 verse 9, back there, when he says, Because I live, you also will live. New life. A new start. We don't have to listen to that old me anymore. I love what the Apostle Paul then says about this in in Titus as well. He, He says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He regenerates regenerates us. Have you been made new? Conviction of our sin, right? If we go back to that first step, conviction of our sin ought to lead us to repentance. When we, when we see that we've done something, it ought to lead us to repentance and a desire to be new because we, all of us, I think, we all know that we're broken. We all know that we're sinful. We all know that we do things to hurt ourselves, to hurt the people around us, that we do things that hurt God. We know that. So if you want to love Jesus, if you want to know him and obey him, you need a new you. And that happens when we, when we give our, our life to Jesus, when we give him ownership of our lives. Have you done that? It's the only way really to experience lasting change in the life that he calls us to. It's the only way to truly uh, become the, the kind of person that we long to be. And if you've done that, if if you've been made new, then stop listening to the old you. I mean, how quickly we do that. How quickly I do that. The old you is dead, gone, buried. The new you, the one that's been raised out of the tomb, is Christ. And he's the God who lives within us. Every time sin begs for your obedience, Remind yourself, that's not who I am anymore. I don't have to listen to that person. That's, that is not who I am. I, I'm not defined by that action, by that attitude anymore. And so Holy Spirit, make us new. Help us live renewed in you, in Jesus. So he convicts, he regenerates third, he gathers us. Uh, this comes out clearly in our statement of faith, that he brings us into the family of God, it says. And Jesus says in our text, as he, as he speaks to his disciples, gathered there together, right? As a, as a body of, of people following him, seeking him, he says that he is not going to leave them as orphans. I love that Jesus says that. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection creates a new family for us. And the Holy Spirit's the one who gathers us together. He's the one who gathered us here together in his name, worshiping Christ, worshiping our Savior. He gathers us. That's that's what the the church is, what we're for. But but what does that have to do with obedience? What does that have to do with knowing and loving Jesus? Everything. You cannot obey God, cannot love God, cannot know God without each other. If we want to experience the life that he describes... We need one another. And so are we living this life? Are you living this life with others? We need each other for accountability, for inspiration, for encouragement, for understanding. If you think you can live the Christian life by yourself, you're wrong. Everything in scripture teaches us otherwise. We need one another. We're desperate for one another. And so who are those people in your life? I mean, not just generally, right? Don't just say, well, there are people in the church here. Who are those people in your life? Names and faces. Be specific. Who are the people in your life that help you obey Jesus? That help you love him? And not, not just in your immediate family, but the people that you have that relationship with, that, that encourage you, that equip you, that keep you accountable to love Jesus. This is, this is what the church is, and this is what the Holy Spirit does. He gathers us together as one family loving our Savior. And finally, he transforms us. Scripture uses a lot of words, a lot of descriptions for how the Holy Spirit does this. We could we could get into that, we're not going to. Um, For example, Scripture teaches us that He teaches us, the Holy Spirit teaches us, that He guides us, He equips us, He empowers us, He fills us, He truly gives us everything we need to glorify our Savior. But He doesn't do these things without us, without our involvement. Yes, he is the one who transforms us. But do you put yourself in places where he does his best work? We put ourselves in places where the helper can help us most. We cannot transform ourselves. Try as we might. We can't do it. I got to tell you one of the most frustrating things about being a pastor is that I am in the business of transformation, but I have no power whatsoever to transform anybody. I can't even transform myself, right? We, We can't. None of us can. That's his job. That's what he does in us and for us. And yet, even though it's what he does, every one of us has a role to play. Put yourself where he does his best work so that he can do his work of transformation. so he can help you most. For example, I mean, there's a lot of things that we could list here, but for example, you, you won't love Jesus if you don't pray. Not really, not pray regularly. And it's part of the relationship. You won't know Jesus if you don't spend time with him alone, regularly, solitude, seeking him. You won't, you won't obey Jesus if, if you're not spending time in his word and, and gathering together as a church that we, we hear his word together taught and proclaimed. We, we just, we won't do these things. We need these disciplines in our lives. We don't transform ourselves. But there are so many things that we can engage in willingly that allow the Holy Spirit to work in us in ways beyond our imagination. How are we allowing the Helper to help us? If you want to change, if that's the life you want, you want to know and love and obey Jesus, you long for that. If you want that, but you're unwilling to do the hard work of the spiritual disciplines, it's just not going to happen. We must obey. We must. But we can obey. We can. Sure, not perfectly. Every one of us falters along the way because we resist the Holy Spirit's work within us, but we've been given everything we need to love, obey, and know our great Savior. And if you think about it, isn't our God gracious? I mean, he thought of everything, didn't he? He knows us so intimately. He knows exactly what we need, and then he gives it to us. I mean, just just think about it, right? The fact that our God gives us commands, gives us rules to live by. He is our creator. He knows the best way for our lives to work. That is grace. The the rules that he gives us are an act of God's grace in our lives to protect us, to keep us safe, to help us living like we should. And the fact that in Jesus, for those of us who know Christ, we're given the Holy Spirit. So we've been given the the power and the ability to obey him, the, the motivation, the joy. And then we also have the Son forgiveness when we fail, and that he continues to sometimes drag us along. But we, we've been given everything. I mean, think, think of the grace of God to not only save us by grace, but to give us the ability to do what he demands. It's all grace. And so for the question, the question for us isn't so much, should we obey? It's obvious. It's not even, can we obey? better question for each one of us that we need to ask is, do I want to obey? Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are our God. Three in one, perfect beyond imagination. We are amazed at the mystery and beauty that you are. And we don't pretend to understand. Father, we thank you for giving us commands, rules to live by, for you know the best way for us to live. God, you're so gracious. Thank you for that. That you have created us and that you love us so much to tell us what it means to live, to be human. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for allowing us to to enter into this life that you gave up your own life so that we could have motivation and power and hope to be able to actually do these things and forgiveness when we fail because we will. Lord Jesus, we thank you. And Holy Spirit, God, we ask that you would convict us Holy Spirit, that you would continue to make us new and help us live, live as renewed. that you would gather us together so we could help one another to do this hard work that you've called us to, and that you ultimately would transform us. Triune God, we praise you. We are amazed at you. It's in the name of Jesus that we can come to you, and it's for his glory that we pray these things. Amen.